What is up, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi, and I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Review and Preview Network for my weekly NBA and college basketball show. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. In tonight's episode, we'll be reviewing the NBA trade deadline that went down. I know it was a couple weeks ago, but we haven't had any time with the past hiatus that we just took. Um, we'll be going over a few of the winners of the deals what kind of stood out this week's top headlines in college basketball and the NBA, the new AP poll that came out last week, one of the final AP polls before we uh, get into conference tournament play. And then the top college games, the top college games of the week. And later Tom Scavetta of review and preview will join the show to talk Milwaukee bucks and Notre Dame hoops and their surge in the ACC right now. Hope everybody's doing well. There's been plenty, plenty of basketball going on over the past several weeks since we've been out, you know, sorry about the hiatus, um, tough work schedule, but we're back and that's all that matters. So we're back here at a new time, back to the old seven o'clock time. Um, but instead of Mondays now, we're going to be on Tuesdays. So everybody, um, get ready for that. We're Tuesday nights at seven for now on. Um, but we got, jam-packed stuff to talk about so much happens this past week and you know without without any further ado we're gonna jump right into what the top top topic of the week by far in most sports Juwan howard um but before we get into that we got we got a comment from tom scavetta will be on the show later it's back 3nd is is back drop a comment below let's know what you think on any of the topics we're going over gonna be interesting so back to Juwan howard so Juan Howard shoved Wisconsin coach, obviously, um, unless you live under a rock or aren't a basketball fan. If you're an NBA fan or even a college basketball fan, you know about this. Um, after Wisconsin's win over Michigan on Saturday, Juwan Howard and Greg Gard, who is Wisconsin's head coach, had some words um, in the handshake line. And after the game, uh, kind of went back and forth. It's, it started because Greg Gard called a timeout with 15 seconds left to try to um, reset the 10 seconds clock because um, he had his backups in and they were about to, you know, they were up by, they were up by a bunch. 
they basically, and they were about to have a 10 second violation to not get the ball past half court. He called a timeout in order to reset the 10 second clock on Howard. That was ridiculous because they were up by so much with only 15 seconds left. So he, um, he had some choice words to say about it. And Jawan Howard and Greg guard kind of talked a little bit in the, in the, uh, handshake line, Greg guard kind of like, you know, he was trying to plead his case a little bit. Jawan Howard didn't want to hear it. Um, they both went kind of went back and forth and then to a skirmish, Jawan Howard ended up shoving Wisconsin's assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoft, uh, and everyone was separated and it kind of ended right there. So basically what the, what the NCAA dished out, Jawan Howard got a five game suspension, which will bring him right up to the end of the regular season and into the big 10 tournament. Uh, he's going to be out pet, which, you know, He's the first NBA player to ever sign a hundred million dollar contract, so he's not. Um, that's that's the least of his worries is not having pay for for five games. And he's going to receive a fine too. Greg Gard is also going to receive a fine, and Krabenhoft, who was smacked in the face, you know, some people want to say it's a punch. I, I, I say it's a smack because it was an open hand, you know, kind of just like like barely made contact, but. Um, he's not going to get any penalty, the assistant coach. And that kind of makes sense. He was, you know, he was the re- receiver of the punishment. So, you know, a lot of people going back and forth on this, you know, there's too much to get into about this besides, um, you know, we've seen this happen many times before. Um, we've seen this kind of stuff go down before. It's a terrible look without a doubt for Michigan. Um, and for Jawan Howard, you know, you can never do that. You're supposed to, be the leader of young men um, kind of showing the way for a lot of these young players. And you cannot let your emotions get the better of you into that case, but it's not the first time we've seen a head coach or a player or anything like that ever do something like that. So no, it's, it's big news, but it's really, it really shouldn't be huge news. You know, he got, he's going to get his suspension um, and everybody, everybody will move on with, with their lives. And also Michigan has an extremely rough rest of the road too. Um, and they're right now, according to Joe Lenardi's bracketology, they're right now the last team in the last four in. So, but they've, they've got a tough schedule without Juwan Howard the rest of the way. And then the big 10 tournament. So they can very, they very well might end up missing the tournament. Um, I anticipate that they're probably going to miss the tournament unless, you know, they're able to get this wins against them some top 25 teams, which they haven't been able to consistently do all season long. So that's the Juwan Howard news. Jumping over to some NBA news that broke um, yesterday, actually. Goran Dragic signs with the Nets. The 35-year-old veteran point guard Dragic signed the remainder of the season deal with the Brooklyn Nets. One-time All-Star started the season in Toronto. He was part of the Kyle Lowry sign-and-trade from Toronto to Miami over the summer. Drogic started the season with the Raptors, played in five games, uh, didn't love it, decided, mutually decided with the team that he would sit out until they find a trade partner. Then at the deadline, he was traded to San Antonio, bought out of his contract from San Antonio. He only had one year left of his contract. So he's signing a remainder of the season deal to try to compete with the Nets. Um, and he's going to be back with former teammate Steve Nash. He'll be re- reunited with him, which will be, um, which I think is kind of the coolest part about all of this. So that's that's an interesting thing. Um, a little more firepower that the Nets get. I don't, I don't know how much it's really going to do, 
but it's, you know, we'll see. So let's jump into the NBA trade deadline. So the trade deadline obviously was almost two weeks ago and um, plenty, plenty of stuff has happened um, since then, but you know, we haven't had an episode in over three weeks. So have to go through all the big deals. Um, we haven't been able to break break the news about the James Harden deal. We have on review and preview, but on the three and D. So um, let's go over a few of the deals. Obviously, we had the James Harden deal. The Nets got Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, a 2022 and 2027 first round picks, and the 76ers got James Harden and Paul Millsap. Um, you know, everybody everybody knows these trades for the most part. So I'll mostly jump into who I think the winner is in. In this case, I think the winner is the Nets. Um, I think the Nets pretty much won this trade. Um, I don't think – I think that the amount that they were able to get back for James Harden was pretty incredible. Um, Harden's been a little bit of a flake too. You know, you, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the Sixers get from him. Uh, I mean, Ben Simmons has been probably equally as much of a flake, so it'll be interesting to see what the Nets get from him. But, you know, throwing those two – uh, stars out of the way. The Nets also got two huge pieces in Andre Drummond and Seth Curry. Now, I I see those guys as being key contributors down the stretch too. Drummond is one of the best rebounders we've seen um, in our entire lifetime. He's a menace on the boards, great defender, and Seth Curry is a knockdown three point shooter and gives them depth off the bench, which they lost when they traded for James Harden originally. When they made that trade with the Rockets for James Harden. Um, they lost a lot of their depth in Karis Levert and all the rest of those guys. And they kind of start off this season with star power, but not very much depth. And they got that right back with Drummond and Seth Curry. So I think that that was pretty amazing. They also got a 2022 first round pick, which is going to be nothing because um, the 76ers should be one of the top teams in the East. So it'll probably be like mid to late twenties, that pick. So it doesn't really mean much Then 2027, which, you know, five years away, we'll, we'll worry about that when it comes, but I say the nets are the winners. Um, also, again, it's tough to say until we see Ben Simmons and James Harden on the floor for the team and see how Harden plays with Embiid. Um, I'm very, I think that they can end up playing tremendously together. A lot of people think otherwise, but um, you know, first impression on paper, I think the, the Nets are more of the winners in this trade. And then we got the Chris Porzingis trade. Obviously, the the Washington Wizards got Chris Porzingis and a 2022 second round pick. Dallas Mavericks got Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertons. So my my initial uh reaction would have been the Wizards uh coming away with the best um with the best uh, package in this deal, just because Porzingis is still young. He's good when he plays, but he's very injured. Um, and they were able to get their, get rid of the contracts of Dinwiddie and Bertans because Dinwiddie has had a falling out with the team. Um, nobody kind of, the, there's the whole rumor that nobody kind of respects him around the team. And then Bertans obviously was a terrible contract that they should have never gave out initially. Uh, for a guy that only shoots threes, plays no defense, but it's so that, so that was good on the Wizards part, but I, I end up saying that Dallas won this trade just because I think Dinwiddie is a tremendous player. I think he'll mesh well with Luca and it was a good shed of salary getting rid of that Porzingis deal too, because I feel like that um, for a guy that plays 30 to 40 games a season, 
not nearly worth pushing, you know, 25 mil uh, for a season. You know, at least Dinwiddie and Bertans you're going to get games from. You know, Dinwiddie's one of, uh, before, you know, his injury last season that cost him like the entire year. He's been one of the more reliable players in the NBA uh, playing almost every day. So I, and even like this season for the Wizards too, he was, he was playing a lot. So I say that Dallas won the trade. Um, it gives Dallas a little bit more depth. I think Bertans could be an, an all right bench player. He's still getting overpaid, but the Mavericks, you know, kind of uh, took that upon themselves in order to get rid of that poor, the Porzingis trade. So I think it'll be interesting. I think it's a fresh start for both teams. I think, uh, you know, Porzingis, it'll be interesting to see what he does in Washington. Washington's kind of in a weird position. Um, they're in like a rebuild, but they're still kind of good. It's it's very weird. And then the Montrez Harrell trade. Uh, Montrez Harrell was is headed to the Charlotte Hornets, and the Washington Wizards got Ish Smith and Vernon Carey Jr. in exchange. Uh, I would say the Hornets won this trade just because Montrez Harrell is a huge piece, and the Hornets are going to be a playoff team this year. I think that Montrez Harrell gives them a lot of stuff that they were lacking as a post presence. Uh, he's great rebounder, good score. And if he's in the right system, can put up very good numbers. We saw him with the Clippers putting up the 17 and eight win sixth man of the year a couple of years ago. And he's not that far from removed from that. He was kind of, uh, not played correctly with the Lakers and wizards, in my opinion, especially with the Lakers last season. I, I don't think they utilized him at all, even, even after signing him for whatever reason. Um, but I, I think that this, this was a very good trade for Charlotte. Also, he, he apparently loves Charlotte after his first game with the Hornets. He said this is the most fun he's had playing basketball in a while. So, you know, good for him. Good for the Hornets trying to get a little bit of a extra power heading into the playoffs. They're they're gonna they're fighting to not be a play-in right now. Um, so very, very interesting. And then there was the four-team Marvin Bagley Serge Ibaka trade, which we'll go over a little bit later on the for the Buck side of it when uh Tom Scavetta joins the show, but it was an interesting trade because it was a bunch of players that kind of had to be dealt. The Pistons got Marvin Bagley, the third, who the Kings have been trying to get rid of for the past year now. Uh, he's been falling out of their rotation. Obviously has not been the player that they thought they were drafting with the second overall pick in 2018. So um, they ended up passing on Trey Young and Luka Doncic for, in favor of him in 2018, which was you know, not not a good move on the Kings' part, but they ended up dishing him out. The Clippers got Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, two decent backups from the Bucs. The Bucs got Sergi Baca, who gives them a veteran presence down low, which I think they kind of needed. Um, you know, they, you got Bobby Portis and uh, coming off the bench, but I think Ibaka brings another, another certain uh, – veteran veteran piece that can be huge down the stretch. We'll go over that a little bit more. And then the Kings got Dante DiVincenzo, which, you know, everybody could have saw the writing on the wall that DiVincenzo was going, was going to be gone because of the mergers of Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton still being on the team, even though Connaughton just got hurt um, after the trade. And then they also got Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles. So my winner in this, in this trade is the Bucks. I think um, the Bucks ended up losing Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, and Dante DiVincenzo, and got Sergi Baca in a second round pick. I think those were all pretty solid because uh, Hood and Ojale were both on one year deals. Good, didn't whereas weren't bring much to the table for the team. Uh, so I thought that that was pretty decent. And DiVincenzo was a guy that they had to kind of like kind of shed his salary. He's going to have to get paid soon. So I thought that that was 
that was pretty decent. And then obviously the Tyrese Halliburton trade to the Pacers. That's very, very old news. Um, Halliburton healed interest in Thompson for Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb. Uh, I have the winner being the Pacers. You know, the, I don't think there's any way. Um, you can you cannot do that because Pacers kind of refueled with so young players. Obviously, Tristan Thompson got bought out by the Pacers and he's signing with the Chicago Bulls. So uh it's really it was really just Halliburton and healed for Sabonis Holiday Lamb and the 2023 first. Now, unlike unlike everybody else, I actually don't think it was the worst trade. The more that I think about it, the more that I see it, the more I kind of come to realize that it wasn't nearly as bad of a trade for the Kings as a lot of people kind of blew it up to be because Sabonis gives them uh, gives them a legitimate big man to pair alongside um, Rishon Holmes and be, kind of basically take the place of what they were hoping Marvin Bagley was going to be. And that's Sabonis. Sabonis could be a perennial all-star in this league. He's a fantastic player. Tyrese Halliburton's got the potential to become an all-star as well. And the Pacers are looking to get young. That's why I say the Pacers probably won the trade. But the Kings um, also had a plethora of guards. And everybody thought that they probably were going to either – they went into this season with Fox, Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, who they just drafted in the first round, and Buddy Heald. Everybody thought that they were probably going to shed De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Looks like they're they're trying to build around De'Aaron Fox and uh, Davion Mitchell, which I think is a, which I think could be a good move. You know, Davion Mitchell gives them lockdown defense, and De'Aaron Fox is their lethal scorer. So they're going to they're trying to create at least a big two right now with Fox and Sabonis. So I, I don't necessarily think it was a terrible trade for the Kings. The Kings need to do something. You know, they year after year. You know, the, we see them 20 games under 500 at least. And it's just, it's got to be miserable to be a Kings fan right now. Uh, we got a few got a few comments from Henry and Dichter. Paul's back. Bing bong. I I haven't said bing bong in a while. You know, we'll, in the next few episodes, we're going to, uh, we'll be uh, tackling the Knicks disaster of a season. But um, to me, the bing bong is pretty much dead. Philly could potentially win the trade short term, but I think Brooklyn wins it long term. Absolutely agree. And Kings going to Kings. That's a guarantee. Always going to do that. So now we're going to jump over. Obviously, there was the CJ McCollum trade too, but that's that's super old. We don't even need to go over this. So we'll jump into some college basketball now. AP poll dropped yesterday. Um, a few interesting things. It, it wasn't a huge shakeup. Uh, Gonzaga remains at number one, which they pretty much have all, all season long. Arizona jumped up to number two. Auburn to number three. Texas Tech, I'm telling you what. If there's... Last year, yeah, you know, I'm a St. John's fan, but the last year I watched a lot of Illinois, uh, a lot of Illinois basketball because I was a big Iowa Dasumu fan. The one, the one uh, te- out of market team, the one non Northeast team that I've been watching a ton this year is Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech has got a good team. I love what Mark Adams has done with the program. Um, I love Bryson Williams. I love Kevin McCuller. I think that um, they have an all around dynamic team that can actually make a run. I can, I can, I can see them making a push for a potential final four. That's how locked in they are, but they jumped from 11 to nine this week in the, uh, in the AP poll. Baylor fell from seven to 10. Illinois fell three spots after their loss from 12 to 15. Providence also fell after their loss from eight to 11. Murray state jumped up two more spots into the top 20. So Murray state's been one of the uh, mid-major 
uh, talks of the season. They were 21 this past week. Now they're 19. UConn jumped from 24 to 21 after their big win. And Iowa and St. Mary's boy both joined the top 25. Iowa for the first, both of them for the first time this season. Uh, Iowa joined at 25 and absolutely amazing what McCaffrey has done this season with that Iowa team. Uh, Keegan Murray has been incredible. Bet he's going to end up being a top 10 pick this year. I don't think anybody saw the development of him going this way, but it's, he's he's been superb, absolutely superb. Um, and they're in at 25 this week, and St. Mary's joins at 23. So Low-key, you know, at the WCC, a lot of people are going to rat them because Gonzaga basically runs through that conference every year, but WCC has a decent shot at four bids this year. Most likely three bids with Gonzaga, uh, St. Mary's, and BYU. But Santa Clara is up there, too. Santa Clara has had a very good season, so they can't be counted out yet. They probably don't get an at-large bid, um, but they're very close. And then Michigan State and Wyoming both fell out. Michigan State fell a ton. I've, I think they lost four of the last five or something like that. They've been on. They've been in a little bit of a cold spell. And then Rutgers missed narrowly. Um, I I thought that the Rutgers was going to have a very good chance of being in the top twenty-five after uh, their three straight wins against top twenty teams, but they ended up missing. So that's that's some of the highlights of the new eight people. Now we'll jump into some of the top college games of the week before we get Tom Scavetta to come on the show. So first things first, we got tonight, 8 o'clock, in 40 minutes on the top uh, the top game of Tuesday, my only Tuesday game of the day. We got number 8 Villanova at number 21 UConn. Villanova's 21-6, 14-3 in the conference this season. They've been second in the Big East on a five-game winning streak, and they only got three conference games left. That's how close we are to the Big East tournament. We're almost there. This is, there's only three conference games left uh, for Villanova. Two leading scorers, Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore, are both questionable to play. They've both been hurt. Um, and then UConn, on the other hand, they're 19-7 and seven on the season, 10-5 in conference play. They're third in the Big East on a three-game winning streak. They've been, they've been very up and down this season. They've been in, a very interesting story, um, in my opinion. And RJ Cole has been... The main benefactor averaging 16.2 points and Adama Sonogo averaging 15.1 points. So so this is going to be a big, big East showdown. I think this could be a statement win for UConn. Um, another impressive win for Villanova too. It's it's really amazing because I don't I truly don't think that Villanova's team is that amazing this year. But it's, they're just always competitive. It's ridiculous year after year they're going to be their top ten. So the, this will definitely be a good one. Then tomorrow night. This one becomes even more interesting now after what happened. Rutgers at Michigan going down tomorrow night, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Rutgers 16 and 10 on the season, 10 and 6 in conference play. They beat top 20 Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Illinois. They won four straight top 20 games. That's what kind of resurrected their season. They were um, kind of dead and buried for for a little while and now they're making a full-on push for the tournament but they they knocked off four straight top 20 teams but then they lost to purdue this past weekend which um would have been an unbelievable stretch if they were able to beat purdue uh ron harper jr has been their star player been a star player the last couple of years 15.5.6.1 boards uh He's probably on his way to the pros after this year. And then Michigan, on the other hand, has struggled all season long. And now they will not have Juwan Howard. 
for the rest of uh, the regular season into the conference tournament. Uh, they're 14-11 on the season, 8-7 in conference play. Um, last team in the last four uh, currently, like we were talking about before. So uh, this is going to be an interesting mission. I, I don't really see Michigan in this game. I think that Rutgers has been on such a big tear that probably just going to over end up overpowering them. But it's it's tough because Michigan has won some big games, but they just can't keep anything consistent. That's their problem. And they have an extremely tough schedule. So if they want any chance of an at-large bid this season, they're going to probably have to beat the Rut- beat Rutgers uh, tomorrow night. And they're going to have to beat a couple of the ranked teams that they have left in uh, – in big 10 play. So it's, I, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. They haven't shown that they haven't, they've been able to do it all season long. So then we got Wednesday night at seven. We got Xavier taking on number 11 Providence. Xavier was in the top 25 for a while, kind of fell. They've lost four of the last five, 17 and nine, seven and eight in conference play. Jack, Jack Nungy leads the way with 13.4 points. Uh, Paul Scruggs has 12 points per game this season. Providence on the other hand has been, one of the biggest stories of college basketball this season, a team that wasn't supposed to really do anything has been absolutely amazing. They're 22 and three this season, 12 and two in conference play first in the big East. They've won nine of their last 10. They lost to Villanova on Tuesday, which was their one loss. Uh, Nate Watson has been superb 14.2 points, 5.6 boards. Um, They've been absolutely incredible, and they fell two spots because of that loss to Villanova. So they're at eleven now. Um, Villanova's ahead of them, even though they're ahead, even though they have a better record and first in the Big East. Um, Villanova's got the better resume. So I think that this is going to be a big game. Providence kind of has to keep the momentum going. Um, it's good. It's going to be the Big East has been one of the best conferences in college basketball this season. And the tournament is going to show that, in my opinion. I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. And then we got a little Mountain West showdown. Wyoming at Colorado State. So Wyoming 22-4. and four, They were ranked for a couple of weeks but fell out 11-2 and two in conference play. Uh, second in the Midwest. In my opinion, I think it, in the Mountain West, I should say. In my opinion, I think the Mountain West could have four bids uh, in this uh in this tournament, Boise State, Wyoming, San Diego State, and Colorado State, I think, are all going to get in, which is is absolutely incredible for the Mountain West. I think they're actually going to have four bids this season. They've they've been a tough conference that have, that's kind of been looked over, and Wyoming's been a big part of that. They're twenty two and four, and they're second in the Mountain West too. Um, you know, Boise State's in first place, but Colorado, but Graham Ike has been their star player on Wyoming, twenty one point one points a game, nine point four boards. Absolutely incredible. Hunter Maldonado, who's been one of the better mid-major players in the country over the past couple of years, 19.6 points, 6.3 assists, 5.4 boards. Those have been their two-star players. And then we've got Colorado State, who we've shown love to, too. Um, they've also been in the top 25 this year. They're 21-4, 11-4-in conference play, uh, fourth in the Mountain West right now. So they've fallen a little bit, but David Roddy has been their star, averaging 19-7, and 19-7-3. Um He's been one of one of the better mid-major players in the entire country this season. So this, if you want to watch a little Mountain West basketball Wednesday, tomorrow night, Wednesday night at nine, this is this is going to be a good showdown. And then we jump over to some of the thir- to one of the Thursday games. Nothing really good is going down on Friday, but we got number twenty-two Ohio State 
at number 15, Illinois, Thursday night at nine o'clock. Um, Ohio State, 17-7 on the year. They've been they've been such an up and down team. EJ Liddell, obviously their star player, averaging 19.5 points, 7.6 boards. And then we got Illinois, who is 19-7, 12-4 in conference play. Kofi Coburn is the top three finalist for uh for player of the year, in my opinion. He's in the top three right now. Next week, I'll be I'll go over my updated uh, player of the year lead, uh, leaderboard, but he's averaging 21.7 points, 11.2 boards. So this is going to be a big showdown. Anytime Ohio State plays Illinois, it's going to be big. And then Saturday, time is still to be determined, but we got number three, Auburn, taking on number 17, Tennessee. Auburn fell a spot after losing. Uh, this past week, but they've lost two of their Auburn's lost two of their last four after ha- going on a 19 game winning streak that got them a one seed for the first time in program history. Jabari Smith, who's going to who potentially could be the first overall pick in this upcoming NBA draft, is averaging 16.3 points. Katie Johnson, Wendell Green Jr., Walker Kessler, all averaging 12 plus points a game. And then you got number 17, Tennessee. Tennessee is just really stuck around that 15 to 20 range all season long. Uh, they're 19 and seven on the year, 10 and four in conference play. They've won five of their last six, which has been good, but they lost to Arkansas, which was their tough loss. Viscovi and Chandler are their two double figure scorers. So this is going to be a very interesting SEC showdown, to uh, to say the least. And then we got number four Purdue at Michigan State Saturday at noon. Um, this is going to be another good one. Another great Big Ten rivalry game. Twenty Purdue's twenty four and four this season, thirteen and four in conference play. First in the Big Ten, they've won nine of their last ten. Lost to Michigan was their one loss in the last ten games. Jaden Ivey's been one of the better players in the country this season. Seventeen point three points. Zach Eady has been one of the most dominant big men in the country this year. Fourteen point five and seven point six has been averaging. And Michigan State, on the other hand, uh, was playing great. They even cracked the top 10, but they've lost four of their last five and fell out of the top 25 completely. They're 18 and eight now, nine, six in conference play. So, um, and they got a tough schedule left too. Uh, They've got Iowa, Purdue and Illinois all left and Purdue. They'll be playing on Saturday. So this is Michigan state's probably still a tournament team, but they need to get, they need to get some wins. I mean, if they, they lose out and they lose first round in the Big Ten tournament. They may not be a tournament team, but um, we'll see. It's going to be going to be very interesting. Then another SEC showdown. We got number six Kentucky at number eighteen Arkansas uh, Saturday at two o'clock. Uh, Kentucky twenty-two and five this season, eleven and three in conference play. They won seven of the last eight and lost to Tennessee. Um, so that's been kind of the story of their season they've been absolutely dominant but will drop a game or two here and there but they get LSU earlier in the week Oscar Shebway has been by far um to many has been the player of the year favorite averaging 16.4 points 15.2 boards Tata Washington and Severe Wheeler both injured so both very interesting situations that we're going to have to uh we're going to have to look at arkansas on the other hand is 21 6 10 and 4 in conference play won 11 of their last 12 that's why they're 18 now in the country arkansas was not supposed to be nearly as good this year but um they've they've kind of uh made an incredible uh run over the past 
however many games, winning 11 of the last 12. J.D. Note is averaged 18.5 points. Jalen Williams averaging 10 points and 9.6 rebounds. So this will be a good SEC showdown for sure. And then got to show a little love to the team that I was hyping up before. We got number nine, Texas Tech at TCU Saturday at 6 o'clock. Texas Tech, 21-6 and six this season, 10-4 and four in conference, played their third in the Big 12. They beat Baylor and Texas uh, for the last two games. And TCU, on the other hand, 17-8, and 6-7 and seven in conference play. They've been a surprisingly decent team. Uh, not too many people expected much out of them. I mean, 6-7 and seven conference play is not great, but 17-8 and eight overall through the season. Um, very tough remaining schedule, though. They got Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas twice, and then West Virginia. So they're playing some of the powerhouses of the Big 12 the remaining of the way. Mike Miles has been their star player at 14.7 points. And then another Big 12 matchup. We got number five, Kansas, at number 10, Baylor, uh, Saturday at 8 o'clock. Uh, Kansas 22-4 and four this season, 11-2 and two in conference play. Uh, one last – one their last three games. O'Shea Abaji has 20 points. Uh, Christian Brown averaging 15 points. And Baylor, um, Kansas has been red hot winning last winning the last three. And Baylor is 23 and 5, 11 and 4 in conference play, and won four of last five games. Um, so this is gonna be this is this might be the best game of the week, in my opinion. Uh Kansas versus Baylor. These are the two best teams in the Big 12 all season long. And I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Jonathan Chamochachua, obviously, uh, as many people know, out for the year towards ACL. Huge loss for Baylor. But Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and James Akinjo have all stepped up um, and have been amazing. So I think that it's, I think those are, those are all storylines that, that need to be looked at. Kansas versus Baylor. Definitely going to be a good one to watch out for. And then wrapping up the top games of the week, we got on Saturday, we got number one Gonzaga at number 23 St. Mary's. Uh, this is another very interesting one, a WCC showdown. Gonzaga 23-2, and 12-0 and in conference play. Um, they've won 16 in a row. Um, they... they it's also going to be their final conference game because the WCC always starts off, always starts their tournaments a little bit, a little bit sooner um, than, than mostly everybody else does. But come Saturday will be Gonzaga's final regular season game. And then the WCC tournament will begin. So 23 and two, 12 and 0, they're looking to stay undefeated in conference play. Uh, Chet Holmgren has been one of the best players in the nation, 14.4 points, 9.6 boards. Uh, Drew Timmy's been averaging 18 points and 6.3 boards this season. Julian Strother, uh, Andrew Nemhard, and Rasir Bolton have all been averaging 10 plus points a game. They've they've been getting uh, an insane amount of addition of um, additions from some of the guys that they didn't think were going to necessarily be huge parts of the team. Julian Strother stepping up big time this year. Rasir Bolton stepping up big time this year. Um, Andrew Nemhard, they expected, was going to do so. Timmy, they expected, was going to do so. Holmgren was number one recruit in the country, so they pretty much expected he was going to do so as well. So um, the Gonzaga has been red hot, and it's going to be interesting to see 
kind of what they do come tournament time because I don't know. There's a lot of good teams in the tournament this year. Um, there's a, I mean, we say that every single year, but there's a lot of good teams in that will be in the tournament this year. And I feel like if Gonzaga gets on a roll, um, they're going to be one of the toughest teams to beat, especially with Holmgren and Timmy down low. I don't, I don't see many teams being able to uh, to match up against those matchup nightmares. But it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see. I think that this this might be one of the better chances. Last year was possibly the best chance, but this is right up there as one of the best chances for Gonzaga to finally finally break the curse and get that national title. Um, you know, Mark Few has done an amazing job. He just needs that one national championship. And I know he I know he knows he needs it. I know that the Gonzaga fan base knows he needs it. Um all the Gonzaga faithful he's lost two two championships now um within the past five years I think it's been. Um twenty seventeen was when they lost to UNC. So um I think that they see the clock is ticking and they're going to want um, – they know that this this may be one of the most talented teams that they've ever had. So I, I anticipate Gonzaga um, being all out going for it and being a tough team to beat. And then St. Mary's, on the other hand, St. Mary's has been tough, as they always are. You know, it doesn't matter who they have. St. Mary's has been amazing again this year. They're 22-6 overall, 10-3 in conference play. They're second in the WCC behind Gonzaga. So um, Gonzaga can pretty much wrap up the uh, pre- the regular season title of the WCC with a win. I mean, this will be the final game of the season. But they've won 10 of their last 12, and they have San Diego and Gonzaga left. So they only have two games left. Um, so they, they actually, I think, have already been eliminated then because the, they'll be two and a half games behind Gonzaga with two to play. So I think Gonzaga has already wrapped up the uh, regular season title at the WCC, but uh, St. Mary is going to be looking for, even if they don't win the, the WCC uh, championship, they're going to be looking for an at-large bid and they're going to be one of the top. They're easily an at-large bid candidate right now. Same with uh, um, BYU also, who's also in the WCC, but St. Mary's, Matthias Tass has been one of the better players, averaging 12.5 points, 6.2 boards. And Tommy Cousy has also been amazing, averaging 11.4 points and 3.6 assists so far this season. Um, Got a nice little comment from Nick. 3 and D is back. The 3 and D is indeed back. Um, It's good to be back with everybody. Uh, We're going to have Tom Scavetta on the show very shortly. But uh, Gonzaga... It's it's going to be interesting to see what specifically Gonzaga does, um, and how they're going to attack, uh, you know, playing against some of these other teams. I I liked how unlike last year they loaded up their con their non conference schedule with some better teams. Uh, so they they ended up getting two losses at the beginning of the season instead of you know being undefeated heading into the tournament because. Let's face it; like you're not you're not going to go an entire college basketball season going undefeated. Kentucky uh, learned that the hard way. Uh, Gonzaga learned that the hard way last year. It's it's nearly impossible, even in a uh, COVID filled season like last season, where you know everything was extremely up in the air. It's it's going to be um, it's going to be very interesting 
to see uh, where Gonzaga basically leaves off. And then on the other hand, uh, St. Mary's too. I think St. Mary's is is going to be another sneaky team that not too many teams, not too many, uh, not too many people are going to know about. Um, I I think that they're going to be by far one of the uh, sneakier teams in come tournament time. Um, I think that they're poised and ready for the WCC tournament. I think they're ready for uh, for. March Madness to start. I'm definitely, I'm definitely really excited to see what else um, is going on with St. Mary's. So that's why Saturday at ten o'clock, I think, is going to be one of the better games, um, along with Kansas versus Baylor. I think Kansas versus Baylor is going to be an amazing game um, Saturday at eight o'clock. But Kansas twenty two and, and Kansas has been twenty two and four this year. Uh, Baylor's twenty three and five. You know, I think that they're going to be. Some of the a couple of the better teams um, come tournament time. So we're still waiting on Tom Scabetta to uh, to join and uh, and hop on to talk some Bucks and Notre Dame hoops. Uh, we'll give them give them a little bit more time. Um, but you know, besides that, it's been over the past couple of weeks uh, working some working. Late nights, just been able to watch a lot of uh, Western, a lot of West Coast basketball, and there's a lot of good teams that I've been able to see a lot of the Pac-12 that a lot of the Northeastern, uh, a lot of Northeast uh, people, you know, usually can't see because games start at 10, 11 o'clock. Um, but I think that's it's pretty amazing. Uh, they got a lot of talent out there, even in the even like in the Mountain West too. You know, I think that it's. Um, teams like San Diego State, um, Boise State, they're all going to be huge contenders uh, come tournament time. And I think that it's, it's going to be going to be very, very interesting, uh, very interesting to see. So I personally think that, um, that it's all going to be um, – that's going to be a very interesting tournament and they are, we're in line. So without any further ado, we got Tom Scavetta backstage. Now we'll bring him on to join the show. Tom, how's everything going? What's going on, Paul? Sorry about the, the about the delay had a little uh, hiccup in my scheduling, but I'm here now and I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So first off, some Milwaukee Bucks talk, you know, they got Serge Ibaka uh, at the deadline. Been one of the better teams in the East. Be very interesting to see uh, kind of how they go and how they match up against the Nets and all the rest of those teams. What, what is your take on the Bucks season so far and, you know, how how everything's been going? My take on the Bucks season, you know, interesting because – we have the big three in place, right, with Drew Holiday now. And Bobby Portis has kind of stepped up in that role for Brooke Lopez, who had the back surgery. And we don't know if he's going to come back this season. Most likely not, I'd imagine, even though the media is trying to keep some hope that he will. What was missing was backcourt, uh, frontcourt depth, right? And they needed Serge Ibaka at the deadline. They needed a player like him. I view Ibaka as this year's P.J. Tucker, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? 
the Bucks went out and they got somebody that they needed in the lineup. The problem was we gave up some assets. We gave up Rodney Hood and more importantly, Dante DiVincenzo, who, in my opinion, uh, would have eventually worked back into the starting lineup, maybe not this season, but next season. Um, apparently, Grayson Allen outplayed him enough that DiVincenzo became ex- expendable. What was really unfortunate about this whole trade situation is as nice as it was to acquire Ibaka and a couple of second rounders, Pat Connaughton breaks his hand the same night we yeah. trade DiVincenzo. Yeah. And we're already without George Hill due to a neck injury. So now you're going from a, a stacked backcourt, Paul, to paper thin. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's basically been one of the um, – the worst things that's happened uh, to the Bucks this season too is I think kind of their loss in depth. Obviously, George Hill has been hurt. I think not getting Goran Dragic was kind of interesting. I think that that, that could have been a guy that they could have used big time, uh, especially with all of the the backcourt depth as as you're alluding to. Yeah, uh, that you know the all the backcourt issues that they kind of have had. But I think that you know injuries are always going to play the part. Uh, I think that. There, the Sergi Baca trade overall was pretty good. Um, Dante DiVincenzo was kind of on his way out, sadly. Yeah. Um, especially with the Grayson Allen acquisition, they still got Pat Connaughton under contract. You know, when fully healthy, they really don't need DiVincenzo anymore. So no, they don't. So they, I'm not not even too surprised. They tried trading him to Sacramento two off seasons ago when they yeah. when the Bogdanovich trade fell through. He was a part of that trade, and it didn't go through. So Sacramento must have really kept their interest in him this whole time along. And I'm sure a lot of teams were monitoring how he was playing through his recovery because that was some bad injury he had. Like he, oh, missed, terrible. he missed the front end of this 2022 season, and it really sucked for the Bucs. Uh, Grayson Allen was immediately forced into the starting lineup, which – a lot of people, a lot of people didn't expect. I didn't expect that, but I mean, now we have guys like Lee Wigginton who's playing well. I like what mm-hmm. I've seen out of him. Jordan Nawara is taking that second step in year number two. But you're right. As much as I like Big Ragu, as they like to call him, um, he did become expendable. Uh, you can't have. There's only room for so many second round draft picks on your roster. And yeah. you already got Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton. I know DiVincenzo was a first-round pick, but he's been playing like a second-round pick so far throughout the early stages of his career. So I think it was time for him to go. But it's crazy, Paul. The East is, like, so tight. Like, the top five teams are within two and a half games of each other. So, like, yeah. there's no way to know who the best team in the East is right now. And I think Milwaukee, I think we're, t- like, in a three-way tie for second, and I think the top two are tied for first, right? Something yeah. like that. Because you also have to factor in the Bulls and the Heat, too, who are kind of like the wild cards that, you know, aren't the Nets, aren't the Sixers, aren't the Bucks, but are at the top of the East and are two of the most dynamic teams in the East, too. And obviously, um, they're obviously the, uh, you know, the Heat have experience being in the finals, making it a couple of years ago in the bubble, and they're low key a tremendous team. I think that they're that they're really good and they're definitely going to be a team to watch out for. So I be, I think that that's going to be very interesting. But we'll jump over from the Bucks. Let's talk some Notre Dame. You got Notre Dame on right. the Fighting Irish. I um, do. 
there, there's not too many. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of Notre Dame football fans. Not don't know too many Notre Dame basketball fans, and Notre Dame has been fantastic this year. Um, kind of above expectation in every in every aspect. Um, for in the ACC. So, how do, how are you liking Notre Dame season? Who are your star players, and where do you? How far do you think they can make it in the ACC tournament? So. What I like about Notre Dame's season this year and why I think they're as good as they are, the assistant coach who was with them in those two elite eight runs back in the mid-2010s is now back on the roster with Mike Bray. Uh, his name is on, an, uh, is on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it for some reason, but he's back, and he's helped the development tremendously of freshman Blake Wesley, who has had a monstrous freshman campaign. And Notre Dame, when you view Notre Dame as a basketball program, there's no one and dones, right? Three, four-year guys, and this is like a once-in-a-blue-moon type of scenario where I want him to come back next year as a sophomore. But, I mean, he's starting to rise up draft boards, as you've mentioned to me in the past. And yeah, it's just really hard for me to see a Notre Dame freshman being taken that early in the NBA draft, which is why I'm in so den- – so much denial about it but it's the combination of him and the seniors on this roster I mean look what Notre Dame has Dane Goodwin is a four-year product our second leading scorer Goodwin can hit a shot from anywhere on the floor he's remarkable Paul Atkinson the transfer from Yale you want to establish a front court presence to replace John Mooney from two years ago well now you have it you know, you feed it inside to him and you can kick out to your shooters. And Lashesky, Hub, Cormac, Ryan, Wesley, and Goodwin. I mean, everyone on Notre Dame could shoot. So Definitely. as far as the remaining schedule, I believe we have Syracuse, Boston College, Florida State, and Pittsburgh. All four winnable games. And I know you like your uh, Syracuse Orange, but I think this year, Notre Dame has the edge on them, especially in Purcell Pavilion. I believe that game is being played in. So I think there's a good shot. We go 4-0 at worst, 3-1. and If we do drop one game, it'll probably be either to Syracuse or maybe um, – no, we played Boston College twice already. Uh, it was Pittsburgh, Florida State, Syracuse, and then one other team. But, yeah, it's one, it might be Virginia Tech. But yeah. right now we're second in the ACC. We should at least make the semifinals of this ACC tournament. I think we're better than UNC. I I think we're better than Virginia. We've beaten both of them. You know, this yeah. is not your typical Notre Dame year. Absolutely. And the ACC has been so weak this year, too. So I feel like that there's, there's definitely an avenue. I mean, besides Duke, you know, yeah. every, everyone else, everything else is so wide open. You know, everyone else I feel like is so inconsistent um, that Notre yeah. Dame can legitimately uh, be one of the better teams. They could even make it to the finals, honestly, in the ACC tournament. I could totally see that. Um, you know, Blake Wesley's had an amazing season. Uh, he's going to – he's probably – he's becoming a lock to be a first-round pick. So, which, as you were saying before, extremely rare, extremely rare um, to see a Notre Dame product uh, being one and done. But we might end up seeing it this year. and. You know, the best way 
the way things are going too, you know, the best way to be competitive in the NCAA is to start bringing in some of those one and done guys, you know? So that's, yeah. that's something that Notre Dame might have to explore. I mean, that's what uh, coach K had to do 10 plus years ago. You know, he was, Duke was always known for, you know, three, four year guys that they never had a one and done. And then, you know, they brought in, um, they started bringing in, that first class Kyrie Irving uh, was, you know, one of their first one and duns. They started bringing in guys. They won John Wall. He ended up going to Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so you might end up having to see this, but I think it's interesting. I think it's kind of a renaissance for the uh, for their uh, program. But it's overall a really good year. I'm excited to see what the ACC tournament has. Obviously, you know, Syracuse always pull for them, but it's, they, they do not have a good team this year. I've watched a bunch of Syracuse games. I don't have much faith in them. Uh, I th- they've got a very weak team this year, so I don't really anticipate them very, doing very much. I think that I think Notre Dame could really make a push. You know, I think that Duke is obviously the team to beat in the yeah. ACC, but, you know, UNC has not been good. I think that I think Notre Dame has a legitimate shot. And we have a win over Kentucky. I, yeah, people exactly. Forget that. Like we beat UK and yeah, Duke wasn't a good performance. We only scored 43 points. That was a real shit show. But, uh, you know, Nate Lashesky has been battling an injury. That's why he's back on the bench for now. So Cormac Ryan has been inserted into the starting lineup and he's done a nice job. Um, I just, the, the thing that concerns me about Notre Dame in the past is that they live and die by the three. Yeah, right. And that's why Blake Wesley is so important to this team because he is the X factor there. If you get him going, you don't have to live and die by the three. You have other options. You have Paul Atkinson inside. And I have a friend who's a big UNC fan. Yeah. He's telling me Notre Dame could po- could possibly make it to the Sweet 16. So I hope he's right. I think he's out of his mind. <laughs> Watches um, a lot of ACC basketball then. So, you know, you got to – that's Kanan, right? Yes, that is yeah. Kanan, who we refer to as coach because he uh, he's a great coach for Hoop Group. And now he works at Combine Academy down in North Carolina. So, yeah. you know, he he's down there. And, he, you know, it's interesting because Mike Bray, like he literally has to recruit students and fans to show up to these games. Oh, like absolutely. Purcell Pavilion is never packed. Notre Dame basketball, men's basketball is like the Tennessee Titans of the NFL. I know that's a bad reference, but they're they're good but nobody shows up. Yeah. You know? Cuz they're yeah, not a basketball yeah. school. They're a football yeah, school. Yeah. They're an academic school. That's what they are. Yeah. So, I mean, and they got a lot of – obviously, you got a lot of kids that go to Notre Dame that probably aren't even sports fans, too. No. So, a lot of, a lot of them, their they're big sporting events they go to are the football games, you know, not, yeah. not the basketball games. Absolutely, 100%. And one thing I will say, Prentice Hub has had such a down year. He's been a real disappointment. I don't yeah. like the way he's played this year at all. He was – That's the there, one player. He, during the preseason, he was supposed to be their best player. He was supposed to yeah. be their best player during the season. Yeah, he just – he can't live up to the expectations. I mean, you know, it's a real shame because if he turns it on, then I would agree with Kanan in saying that Notre Dame could be a sweet 16 team. Uh, they they could make it through two rounds of the tournament. I don't know what uh, projectory we're at right now. I'd imagine we're probably around that eight to nine seed range. 
Yeah. At the I moment. Think, I think so. Something like that. We got four votes for the for the top twenty five this week. Yeah. Um, you know, if we didn't let Boston College take us to overtime, the loss to Wake Forest hurt. That hurt yeah. on the road. I mean, you have to beat them, but they're a good team too. They're good. They are. They are a good team. You know, it's been the ACC like the those under the teams that kind of everybody read off during the preseason are the ones who have been overperforming. You know, Wake like, Forest has had a good season. Notre Dame's had a good season. Yeah, um, and like since Pat Connaughton left, there's been an issue, like keeping the brand up to oh, absolutely what it once was because Notre Dame. The, the men's team has never really been as good as the women's team, except if we're talking about late 70s, early 80s. But, um, yeah, like they haven't had any NBA players in a while. So yeah. this team gives me like 2016 vibes, the team that made it to the round of 32 and lost. Yeah. The They're not giving me 2015 vibes because that year, I think Notre Dame only lost five or six games all season long. Yeah, that was the um, 2015 was Jerry and Grant year, right? The Jerry and Grant and Pat Connaughton yeah. year where they should have beat Kentucky. I will live and die. Oh, God. Yeah, I remember that. Notre Dame had that game won and they and they blew it and they yeah. blew it, you know, and people like, oh, well, they should have lost the Butler in the round of 32. Well, Pat Connaughton smacked that ball into center field. So. Uh, there was no way Kellen Dunham was making that shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just a little bit, you know? Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting. And once again, you know, come tournament time, it's a crapshoot. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. All Notre Dame needs is to get some momentum in the ECC tournament. And, you know, they, they who knows? They could be um, a, a Sweet 16 team. It's a, That's high praise. You know, I think that's probably their ceiling. But it's, Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you never know. You know, you never know when it comes to tournament, Tom. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say on Notre Dame, Paul, is I think the experience of Coach Bray, the incompetence of the ACC this year. Yeah. And not to be, I mean, actually, there's no bias in me saying this. The light schedule we've had, we didn't draw UNC twice. We didn't draw Duke twice. I mean, we're getting a pretty fair share of the deal here. That's what happens when you suck consistently in the ACC. Like, exactly. But they have – it's Blake Wesley and a bunch of seniors. Now, I know some of them could come back. Like, I know Cormac Ryan has a year of el- eligibility left. So does everybody else, I'm pretty sure. But I think the only senior that's definitely coming back next year is Cormac Ryan. So you're looking at this starting lineup and, like, this is it for a lot of these guys, for, yeah. for Dane Goodwin, for Paul Atkinson, for Prentice Hub, you know, uh, L- Lashesky as well. So, yeah. you know, it's it, – yeah. and lack of depth concerns me. You can't go into the tournament with a seven-man rotation and say this team is going to make the Sweet 16. I know. So one player goes down, that's all you need, and your and your team is done. I don't, you know, I don't if you're going with that sort of rotation. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're deep enough, you know. And we see what's happened to these great. I mean, look at Baylor last night; they almost yeah. lost Oklahoma State. In I know, fact, probably should have. That it's it's crazy. I know, especially with Baylor too. You know, they've been they've been an interesting team. Started off so hot, and you know they they can't figure it out. But that's exactly it. You you never know when it comes to tournament time. So many down years too. West Virginia, Michigan. 
Yep. I know you talked about probably talked about the Howard stuff earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know my opinion on that, but man, like all these teams, like Syracuse, just underperforming. It just doesn't make sense. Like it's the year of parity for all of sports, for college football, NFL, and college basketball. Like, don't be surprised if we see teams in the Final Four, like USC. I know they're a good team, but that team has Final Four potential. If you look at them from top to bottom, they may not be ranked like on on that one or two line, but they are probably a team that you should look at in your bracket if you want to make some money, pick them to make the Final Four because they're a really good team. No, absolutely. I think that's it's totally true. You know, you're going to end up. It's going to be another. I mean, every year in college basketball, we end up seeing. Um, I feel like, especially over the last several years, you end up seeing a, like two or three. You end up seeing one or two teams in the Final Four that just nobody would have predicted. Like last year, UCLA right. being uh, being one yeah. of those teams. You know, even Oral Roberts making it as far as they did. Um, Oregon State oh. making it as far as they did. You know, it's absolutely incredible. But that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. I want to thank everyone who tuned into Review and Preview Network to watch another episode of the 3 and D and to all those listening via podcast, YouTube, etc. You can also follow the show on Twitter at 3 and D. Tom, always a pleasure. Head honcho of 3 and D. You got anything else to say? Head honcho of 3 and D. That's you, my friend. <laughs> Head honcho of Review and Preview. Gee, it's, I'm telling you, it's late. It's late. All good. Uh, we've been up for a while. Uh, I've been up since 6 a.m. this morning, actually. Uh, no, just thank you so much for having me on. I know this Iowa-Michigan State game's coming down to the wire, so probably going to no. catch the end of that. And uh, got some good college basket- basketball coming up, folks. March Madness is on the horizon, so stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of good upsets in the tournament this year. I'm excited. I can't wait. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week and stay tuned for more updates and brand new episodes coming every Tuesday night now at the new time, 7 o'clock. No longer Monday at 8.30. We're Tuesday at 7 o'clock now. Have a great night, everyone.